Thank you, guys. I don't know how many of you saw that or have seen that before, but it's probably one of the most important videos on YouTube at the moment, particularly for you. Because God has brought you to Europe. And the tragedy, folks, the tragedy I could scream, uh, because I've been at this a long time, nearly 20 years, I've been working with immigrants, asylum seekers, and I feel sometimes like I'm banging my head against the wall. Because people want their careers, they want money, they want all kinds of things. But when you mention the agenda of God, you actually do not get the response that you think you should get. And if that does not, if that kind of information does not dictate our future, then may God Almighty forgive us. Amen? May God forgive us. Because we're not honoring Him as our Father. We're not listening to Him. We've become deaf and dumb and desensitized to the reality of the responsibilities to work cross-culturally. We have become blind to the responsibilities to work cross-culturally in order to stop this, to do whatever we can. I will do whatever I can to stop this. And when I stand before Christ, I tell you folks, I'm ready for that appointment. I am ready for that appointment. I would say, Jesus, from the moment I saw it, my record shows that I did not turn back with the ups and the downs, with the criticisms and the mocking, and there's plenty of it. I have never deviated from that one vision that you've given me, that within Europe, churches, some, not all churches, some churches are going to get it. They're going to understand the importance of the hour. They're going to understand that the urgency of the hour is bigger than my flag. The urgency of the hour is greater than my family's history or my ancestry. The urgency of the hour necessitates me to put my shoulder to the wheel, to join hands with my brothers and to defeat this onslaught. Amen. Amen? Amen. We're all the same here, folks. I have a background. I have my own loyalties that I have to wrestle with and battle with. Just like you. So don't say, I'm, I'm not any different. I'm exactly like you. We're all the same here. But we need to overcome certain things. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 19. You'll all know this very well. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. And Jesus says to you, Go ye therefore and make disciples of how many nations? Are you sure? Maybe just the one nation now. Maybe just Scotland. Uh. Maybe just Eritrea. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But you know what the problem then? If I only sought to make Scottish disciples, that wouldn't be all nations. Neither would it be a great commission. It would be a puny little, tiny, tiny little commission, actually. Right? Wouldn't be a great commission at all. The, great, the reason the commission is great is because God says to us in this room, He says to me, Michael, go and make disciples of all the nations in the world. There's a reason why we have the flags, folks. There's a reason why the flags are on the wall. Because every church, whilst having the temptation just to be self-indulgent, every church 
has the commission to actually individually reach all the nations. This morning we have a meeting going on, two meetings going on in Bulgaria. It cost us a lot of money. We have the Russians in Glasgow gathering in two places right now. Amen. We have Brother Joseph in Tanzania. We have the Pakistanis this afternoon. We have the Indians down in Paisley. And through those groups, we have been taking the responsibility not just to reach Scotland, but to reach Europe, yes, but actually all nations in whatever way. It's a great commission. But we very quickly turn it into a tiny little commission because we use excuses like language or people not understanding us and all the normal excuses that every church and every responsible pastor must overcome. Joseph can't speak the language in Tanzania. He's had to learn it. We've got, we won't speak Bulgarian. You need to learn it. You didn't come here speaking English. You needed to learn it. And we can learn the languages of the nations. And that's, that, in fact, that's a major part of our curriculum, our program in our university in Singapore. We sang a song, We Shall Overcome by the Blood of the Lamb. And so it is, folks. Whatever obstacles stand between us as a church reaching all the nations, what do we do? Overcome them. We overcome them. Right? And there's many of them. People will shoot objections to you every day, all day. This is why we can't do it. No, we will overcome. We will overcome every obstacle, no matter how difficult it is, and God will be with us in that process. There's a disease, a condition rather, in the world at the moment that's becoming so prevalent. It's called bulimia. Do you know, some people, listen, some people have a sickness. They have a condition and they eat their food and then they go to the toilet and they make themselves sick. You know, mostly girls, not always girls, but mostly girls who want to be skinny. It's called bulimia. They can't, even though they, they take stuff in, they can't keep it in. They vomit it up. And, you know, it's a, it's a modern condition, but it's so typical of the churches, of churches today. Churches receive people, but they can't keep them. We receive people, they come into our churches, and if you had every person who passed through your doors, man, you would have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So would we. Churches struggle, even though God sends the people, we really struggle to keep them down. We actually throw them back up. Excuse, terrible example, isn't it? But we do. We are bulimic in that sense. And you know why, folks? One of the major and increasing reasons why, culture. Okay, people are coming, more and more people are coming in looking for adaptation to the culture in the, in the nation they're in, and they're not finding it, and they get frustrated. Many people I find don't even know how to articulate it. The greatest cultural experiment, the greatest cross-cultural experiment of history was the United States of America, the formation of America, and their dream. This is the greatest really experiment the world has ever seen. America opened up its doors to the nations of the world and they said to all the cultures, come, we're open. They, they said the same thing as Jesus says. Jesus says identically, doesn't he? He says, come, every nation. Next slide, please, Madhu. 
written on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. Look at this. This is what it says on the, on the bottom of that statue. America talking to the world. Give me your tired. Give me your poor, your homeless, the refuse of your teeming shore. Send them here, they said. So like Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you know, any pastor, Pastor Johan here, myself, any pastor will have open arms, won't he? Any pastor will go outside his door and say to his community, come, please, come, come on in. America did that. They did that, and I think it's to their credit. But guess what? Guess what, folks? There was a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble happened. Next slide, please, Maru. Who are these? These are the Chinese railway workers who became the most prosper, prosperous group in the States when they started to arrive. The Chinese were working harder than any other group, and they began to prosper more rapidly. Listen, folks. The white guys, the local American white guys who invited everybody, looked at this and thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> that wasn't the dream. That wasn't the dream. We didn't realize you were going to prosper. And they began to persecute the Chinese for a few decades, but 35 years of persecution, severe persecution. And they actually were successful in hammering them down. Because even though the white Americans said, come, when they came, they were not willing to make the cultural changes necessary. And it turned into persecution. Next slide, please. We all know who this is. It, it moved on from the Chinese to the black community. And it was the same story. As soon as the black community started to prosper in any way, shape, or form, the white community started some ter a terrible period of history. And my point is, folks, you see, with the best will in the world, which the founding fathers did have, they wanted the nations to come, but they were still very immature in terms of the cost of that. And what it was going to mean for them as Americans dropping, their, you know, dropping parts of their culture and letting go of certain traditions in order to make room for other cultures. They weren't willing. They weren't willing to change this little tradition or that little tradition. They actually, when push came to shove, at the end of the day, they said no. And it caused nearly a civil war, right, to sort that out internally. Next slide, please. My point is, folks, this question was beginning to be asked in America, and it's a question that should never be asked. The question is, who is a real American? So here you've got a person. You see, just because you've got passport, Noah, just because you've got a passport, it doesn't answer the, the spiritual question. It's only a document. There's a much deeper problem here. The, the Chinese guys, the black guys, they're walking down the streets of New York with a passport. But you know what they're saying in their heart? I don't belong here. They don't want me. Am I an American? Doesn't look like I am. There was a deeper issue than just documentation. And the same thing happens in our churches. The question, who is an American, should never have arisen if the government had been open enough. You understand me? And the question, do I belong to this church? So, if a Chinese guy comes into your church, brother, what's he going to say? 
I've got the responsibility to reach how many nations? All nations. It's a great commission. A great commission. And we as a church have gone to great lengths to make sure that when a person walks in to the church that I'm responsible for, that no matter what color, what race, what background, that they will never ask that question. But they will feel welcomed. They will feel that it's their home. Do you understand? We turn the Great Commission into something that suits ourselves. We become self-serving, doing what we need or what we want. And that's a disgrace, folks. There's a few things I, I want you to get this morning. Very simple message, but very important message. Forming an international church is the only commission I have. I don't have another one. I can't change it. I don't have an option. So God has told me to do it, and I must do it. Leanne, would you join me a moment quickly? Come, Daniel, please. Let's, let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's say, you can just stand there, that's fine. Come and stand here, Leanne. Let's say that these two terrified volunteers here, let's say that these two terrified volunteers are pastors. Now look at me a moment. Hello. Hello. <laughs> now let's say that I'm Jesus Christ, okay? And I'm coming to you and I'm giving you a, a great commission. I'm going to go away for a little while. I'll be gone. But while I'm gone, I want you to build me a church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. But just for this morning, I'll take five each. Okay? Five and five. Okay? Off you go. Do it. And I'm going to go. Quick, come guys. If, if she calls you, come. If Daniel calls you, come quickly. I'm gone. <laughs> Can you go over with Daniel, please? Whoever Daniel calls, go over that side. Okay. Can you separate, please? Form two different groups. Space out there. Okay. Okay. There's a pastor for this team. Leanne, come here, please. What did I ask for? Okay. Pastor. Shh, shh. Listen. You die, Leanne. Not today. Not today. You die, you go before Jesus. What did I tell you to do? I'm going to judge you now. Shh. I'm going to judge you now. No one will speak before the throne. You'll be silent. I asked you to build me a church from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Where is it? Fantastic. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Thank you. Hallelujah. Give her a round of applause. Take your seats. Take your seats. <coughs> Daniel? <laughs> you better have a very good... Thank you. Take your seats. Praise the Lord. Okay. The, the problem is, folks, we always think, the, the devil will always offer you an easy way. And he'll give you every excuse in the book. We can't do it. We're not going to understand. And I'll explain in a moment. We can get past, we can overcome. We can get past every problem. And if we do, we can overcome this onslaught within Europe. Amen. Amen. We can do it. Yeah. We can do it fastest growing church, in fact, the biggest church 
in the United Kingdom is doing exactly this. It's Kensington Temple in London, led by a very good guy called Colin Dye, and he decided some 25 years ago that it was possible for all the nations to come together under one roof. And God has blessed that work, and now they're the greatest church in this nation. Fantastic. Well, I tell you, if one can do it, if one church can do it, we can all do it. All do it. All over Europe, the churches can do it. But it, it's a mentality change. And as leaders, we've got to become very determined not to let our traditions, because we've all got them, not to let our cultures dominate and not to let anybody dominate anything in your church. Because every, you know, some cultures can be very strong. We've got a fight on our hands, folks, but it's a good fight. It's a very good fight. The Great Commission is a command. It's not an option. I, I need to provide Jesus Christ what he asked me for. He's told me what he wants. And that's what I need to do. But what we tend to do is, what shall I do? You know, what shall I create? That's a danger. Jesus has given the Great Commission. And this will be, I believe, in the last days, a prophetic reality. My belief is that the church in Europe will be the greatest thing this earth has ever seen. And the reason for that is because the Antichrist, I believe, will rise within Europe, but God will not be mocked. The church will also rise within Europe. The bride of Christ will be seen within Europe. And so I'm excited to be here. I'm delighted to be here. I was preaching to the church in Singapore recently. And I mean, I, I think some people thought I was being cheeky, but I, I'm not being cheeky at all. My point to our mother church was this. They're, they're probably, in my opinion, the greatest church planting church on earth. But I said to them, brothers and sisters, all your work and all your experience has been a training ground for the last days. God has been training you for the last 34 years for Europe. Because in the last moments of time, this is going to be the battle point. And God has been moving his army into Europe. Amen. Jesus, may God help us to do what he's asking us to do. Please forgive me, folks, if I get very personal. You, brother, I love Daniel here. You could be tied up, right, in the back of a container in the desert of Sinai. You could be butchered by the Bedouins. Am I right? So could you. And this morning, you guys, I'm asking you very, don't answer me. I'm asking you one very, very serious question. Why aren't you? Who set you free? Who brought you here? And why did he do it? When others are every day, why are you here? Why am I here at this time? And you know, I know your stories. You can look back over your past and you can look at your journey. I ask you to do that with great seriousness because life is brief. Life is short. Don't get deluded by the bright lights of the UK. But always remember, it is God. It is God who brought me here. And the, surely the, the first question and the only question for the rest of my life is, Father, what do you want me 
to do. Here I am, Lord. I am at your service. What is it that you would like me to do? Amen? Amen. And mean it with all of your heart. Next slide, please. I want to say something, folks. I'm an apostle, not a pastor. And my heart is not to control anybody. I don't want to control you. I've got no interest in controlling anybody. I'm too busy. Okay? I've got no need for that. I don't need your approval. I don't need your applause. I need nothing from you. Okay? What I need to do is I need to obey Him. And I need to construct what the Bible tells me to construct. And that is a church from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But when you approach pastors, not all the pastors are like this guy. This is a good guy. But many of the pastors, when you approach them, they become all protective. Stay away from my people. They become all suspicious and crazy. And that is not where I'm coming from at all. Do you know what we should do? I've been thinking about our future. We have cells all over the city. Fred has got seven, eight cells across the city. You've got your home meetings and your prayer groups. We've got seven, eight cells across the city. Babu has his groups going on. We should begin to at least once a month mix up our home groups. At least go and see each other and start to talk. And don't be self-indulgent. Remember that we're, we're not in China, we're not in Singapore, we're not in Malaysia, we're not in Africa, we're in Glasgow, we're in Glasgow, and I'll give an answer for this as well, right, I'll give an answer for my location, no doubt I will, stay balanced, I'm not, keep all things balanced, we will keep, we should look to integrate to some degree, at least once a month, our cell groups, secondly, we understand, cell, congregation, celebration, cells, congregations, celebrations. The cells should aim to be mixed at least once a month. The congregations can be cultural, ethnic. No problem because of language. We understand that. There's no problem with that because of theology, you see. I think most of the groups for at least some time, they need a language service. You'll be holding yours in Woodside, for example. The Eritrean community here will be holding theirs in Woodside from the 11th of August next month. That's perfectly okay. There's nothing divisive about that. That's just a practicality. But then the celebrations, and this is like this morning, when we come together, and that really should aim to be English. And I trust you all understand why. Because we need to start breaking the mold, and we need to start being aggressive and pushing forward to become the church, and that's going to you know, uh, require learning on our part and changes on our part in, in many different ways. In order to do that, next slide please. It, in order to do that, I need to change my perspective of what the church is. I, and I, I dealt with this a long time ago. The church is whose? It's his. It's his. The church is not yours. The church is his first, right? And if I establish that truly in my mind, that's a very good foundation. Once I've got that done, the others are okay. And the people who come in, all of our visitors, our members, they absolutely need to feel that it's ours. Do you know what I mean? They need to feel at home and welcomed no matter what culture or background they're from. You need to, be, you need to feel that personally. I really believe in that, you know. When you're in the right church, you kind of know it, don't you? You walk in and you just, this, this is mine. This is mine. 
And our goal is to create that, but there, 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 there are many difficulties. Look at Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. I, I wish I didn't have to read this. This is not a, this is not a nice scripture. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. This is God talking about the way people treat him. A son honors his father, and a servant honors his master. And if I am your father, where is my honor? And I, 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 for the first time I ever read that line, it, it stuck in my mind. There's God our Father who tells us what he wants us to do, and yet we can disregard him, we can ignore him. Uh, and then he asks us, well, am I really your father? If I was your father, you would do what I say. If I was your father. You're not behaving that way, right? Who's this? Very famous guy. Very smart guy, actually. He gave, this is where the, Jesus said, sometimes the children of the world are smarter than the children of light. Sometimes the children of darkness see things more clearly even than my own children. How true, Jesus, how true. Five years ago, Tony Blair gave a speech in New York to the United Nations. And he said this, because he's, he's joined the Catholic Church and he's part of the leadership, the worldwide leadership there. Listen to this. He gave a speech to religious communities in New York. And Tony Blair said this. There is a whole new generation of young people from ethnic backgrounds, Chinese, black, whatever, Asian, all over the world, who have been dislocated. They've moved. And there's millions of them. But at the moment, they're still young. They're still children. But he said there is an army of young people rising up who will not have the problems that their parents had. They will not have the loyalties to their cultures that their parents had. And he was saying predominantly to the Catholic Church, I don't know if you saw, did you see the, the, the Pope in Brazil? How many people on the beach? One million. Uh, the, and probably one of the biggest youth rallies the world has ever seen. And they're targeting, the, 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 I mean, Brazil is one multi-ethnic country. They're there from all over the globe, right? And they're being very successful, particularly the Catholic Church, in, in reaching into that group. They've, they've understood it. And I only wish that the born-again community, the Pentecostal community, could get with the same game plan. I believe Tony Blair was absolutely right. He, Blair said this, there's a whole generation of young people who are rising up who don't have the loyalties that their father and mother had. They're free of those things. They don't mind what way they worship. They don't mind how long the sermon is. They don't mind what time the meeting starts or finishes, whatever. They don't have the problems that the older people have. And he, Tony Blair was, he said there's thousands of them. They're very adaptable. And all they're doing is they're looking for understanding and respectful leadership. And this, truly, folks, this is our place at this moment in time. Amen? We've got a, we've got a place to fill. Next slide, please. Look at these issues. These are some of the issues that we as churches, you as an Eritrean community, the Pakistani community. Listen, folks, next Sunday, praise God, Fred, for Pastor Fred. We have a miracle here. 
Next Sunday, we have 300 Pakistani people from all over the UK traveling into Glasgow, and we will be meeting them down in, in uh, Merry Hill, in the hall there, and Fred has assembled them all, and he hands the mic, says, off you go. Jesus. Well done, Fred. Well done, man. It's the first ever, first ever Pakistani conference in the UK. And I know why. Because these guys can be vicious. Any Pakistanis here this morning not getting in trouble? They, they've been particularly vicious to their pastors. There's, there's a reason why Pakistan is on the front of your newspaper every day. There's a reason. Particularly, they chop their pastors' heads off. And Fred has needed a lot of cover and a lot of support. But praise God, we got there. Next Saturday, 300 Pakistanis from all over Britain coming together. And this is what we're going to be looking at. How can you guys go back to your churches and stop hiding? It's not that easy. It's not that easy to go with all your friends and all your mates and do your thing. That is not what you've been told to do. So I intend to put a rocket onto that lot and hopefully send them back to their places with a mind change and then facilitate for the future how can the Pakistani people affect our cultures. These are the issues that they will bring to me. Our authority structures are different from yours. Yes, they are. Many of the churches I work with, they, they're led by elders. Led by elders who don't know what they're doing. Led by elders who have never done anything. And they're supposed to be the leader. Idiots. People with no brain. Trying to lead churches. Well, I've seen good men. Pastors. And treated like a puppy. With elders who've got no anointing. So often. You go to churches and they tell the pastor, sit down, sit down, shh, quiet. I'm just telling you the truth, folks. They will bring me authority issues. And my point is always the same. This is a pioneering church. And where you have pioneering churches in the scripture, you don't have eldership rule, do you? You have one man leadership. Because if you try to pioneer a church with elders, what you'll end up is groups all over Europe of about a hundred or whatever. You know, that's, that's all you'll ever do. And they'll all be your own people. You're stuck. You're on the wrong road because the authority structures are different. If you've got a church of a thousand or two thousand, have your elders, no problem. Do you understand me? Do you? You need to understand how authority works. There's a reason why VFC Singapore is probably the most effective church planting group on the earth. Because when you are pioneering, you need to give one man the role. Moses, Peter, David. Right. And they're free to run with it, and the elders should really follow it in that structure. I'm not saying eldership rule is wrong. That's, I didn't say that. I said it's wrong for pioneering. That's what I said. So don't misquote me. They'll talk about pastoral care issues, ministry issues, that our prayer style is different. We all need each other's prayer styles, folks. Oh, trust me, we do. We need each other's prayer styles. You need to listen to the, to the way that God has raised other people up. I could spend weeks on this here, you know. These are the issues that actually, when it comes down to it, cause difficulties and problems, and they're petty issues. And believe me, they're issues that we have to overcome, and indeed will overcome. Could I have my, my gang up with all the tattoos again, please? <laughs> Thank you. Here we go. Where's Daniel? What are you doing there? Sorry. This is, this is a... Los Angeles Hispanic street gang. 
Now, what do you think God thinks of them? <laughs> A few choice words here. What do you think God thinks of this lot? These guys, these guys have very, very, very small minds. Very narrow view of the world. And really they are to be terribly pitied. Okay? Very sad, narrow, small world. Next slide. This is, this is Los Angeles. And you know the story. You will have seen it on the TV. Each block is controlled by a gang. And the gang, this is my world. This little square is my patch. And may God help them. May God open their eyes. I saw a documentary on the gangs in LA once. And the best comment that was made was made by one of the people who was trying to explain it. And he explained it very well. He said, you've got to understand that for these men, this is the world. This is all they know. This is all they know. And they will die thinking it's good. They will die for that street because they consider it their street. Small-minded, not knowing that there's a whole world out there. Do you understand? How do we look at them? How do we see them? Go forward two, please. Oh, dear me. I don't know which is more scary. <laughs> how does God look at these guys? We asked, how did God look at the gang? Because they were so small-minded. Looking after one little block. And we can understand that. But how does God look at these guys? No problem, guys. <laughs> no offense meant. Forward one, please. Ah. Same thing. How does God look at them? Each with their own little block. Each thinking inside his own little congregation. My little world. My seat. My things. So small-minded. And I think God is angry at the street gangs for their pathetic view of the world that he's created for us and given us and I think he's equally furious at pastors and churches who fail to take up the great commission and actually see the, the, the enormous responsibility that God has trusted us with and that's the bottom line here folks God has trusted me with this and I need to I need to look at what I'm doing and I do constantly and ask myself how how do we go about Presenting Christ with the church that you constructed, Leanne, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That needs to be the top of my agenda. And when that is the top of my agenda, wow, he sorts everything else out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's right, not your kingdom, not your idea. Seek ye first his plan. And suddenly everything starts to fall into place. I had a good friend, a Romanian, and we had three Romanian congregations in Dublin. And my translator there for me was such a lovely man. I, I worked with him for many years. His name, his name was Vasili Paps. Every Sunday we would meet in the morning, go through our messages for the day, and we would spend Sunday together. And I really love Vasili. And one day... We had a challenge with culture and traditions. There was a crash in the church. 
and I made my decision, this is what we're going to do, no one culture will dominate any other. That's not going to happen here. And that's what's happening, and I'm not going to permit it. So Romanians, you're not going to do that to the other cultures. That's my decision. Well, I got a bit of a rebellion. So I, 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 that doesn't bother me. I've, I've done what I should do. So I went before the church, and I said, listen, guys, there's the door. I, I've got, I'm, I, don't, I don't serve you. I'm not responsible. I'm responsible to him. So you guys don't want to you know, obey God, then just go. It's no problem to me. But I will continue with what I believe God has asked me to do. And we left them to think about it. And I turned to Vizil. And I, I, I just presumed that he would be faithful to God. Shouldn't presume. And I turned to Vizil and I said, Wow, isn't it terrible? What, what are you going to do? Lord, help me. Vizil turned to me. And he said, Pastor Mike, if you're asking me to choose between Romanian culture and the kingdom, I will choose Romanian culture. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And, and we lost about 300 people because of my decision. And I remember that night. I'll never forget it. I preached. I love them. They love me. Baptized half of them, led most of them to Christ. But they're going back to their culture. And I finished my message and the meeting was over. No one wanted to leave. And they kind of sidled, you know when somebody's guilty? And they don't know how, to, and they were sidling up and rubbing up against me. They want to say thank you for everything. No problem. It's no problem. And slowly they began to leave. Well, I would never want to take that journey. Never in my life will I take that journey. You're going to be loyal to your culture? What are you talking about? What kind of mindset is that? And even people pride themselves on this. You know that? They pride themselves on the fact that they're loyal to their cultures or whatever. I grew up in Northern Ireland in a war zone. There was terrible bombings and shootings and killings at that time. And in my school, I went to a Catholic school. And this one day, the teacher, I was about 12, the teacher put up the words of a Republican song about killing the English. Any English people here? <laughs> oh, well, you're welcome. You're okay, you're safe. <laughs> and they taught us as children the words of a Republican song about killing the British. And yeah, and this is the Christian Brothers School, believe it or not. And I, I, I'm standing there in the class, and do you know what? The class sang the song. I did not. I did not sing the song. I stood there and I was disgusted. And I went home and I sat down and I said to my mother, Mom, today they taught us in school the words of a song about killing the British. And I wouldn't sing it, you know. <laughs> and she came over to me and she was angry at me because she was a bit of a Republican. And she came over to me and she stuck her finger in my face and she said, listen, don't you ever be embarrassed about your culture. Don't you be embarrassed about Ireland and the nation you're from. I, I didn't say that. That is not what I said. I have never been embarrassed about Ireland. But my loyalty is not to an... Mom, this is a... I, I was a child. I couldn't articulate it. But my... This is a Christian home. How can I sing about... 
killing people. This is a Christian home first, isn't it? It's not Irish first, is it? But you see, in her mind, the home was Irish first. And she had made a mistake that many people make. Next slide, please. She had made the mistake of her loyalties. And you have loyalties whether you are aware of it or not. When you're a child, you love to join a gang. You want to be with a group. Okay? And they become the center of your world. You want to be in my gang. And this is really the lowest level of loyalty. But children and young people crave that. Then when you get a little bit older, you might join Celtic Foot Club. Or Rangers or Liverpool or whatever. And you get a greater loyalty. And people will follow this with such passion. But it's still very immature. Then you get to family. And as I say, some people pride themselves on that. Don't slap yourself on the back because you love your family. Jesus said, even the pagans do that. So if you think that you're Mr. Great because you, you know, spoil your kids or spend all your time at home, that is not how God sees it. Twice Jesus mentioned this and both times he criticized it. Do you remember? They came into, in, in, in Matthew 12, they came to Jesus criticizing him about his family. What was his reply? God help us. Let's turn to it. Matthew 12, 48. Exactly. Who are your family? Wake up, child. Where's your loyalty? Matthew 12, 48. They said to Jesus, why don't you look after your family? Where's your brothers? Where's your sisters? Where's your loyalty? Thinking they were good. Thinking they had something special about them. That they were so good as brothers or sisters. And look what Jesus says. He answers them. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers and sisters? Anyone who does the will of my father is my brother in the kingdom. So I challenge you folks. Look at this list. Where is your loyalty? Where does it lie? Have you been caught up in this kind of gang culture where you get that approval from other people or sport where it's externalized or family where you're slapping yourself on the back which is a big mistake because family loyalties I deal with them regularly and they're just as bad as every other type of loyalty I am not loyal to my family first I will never be loyal to my family first you know my testimony I got baptized and my mother wouldn't speak to me because we were Catholics and the first time she got me on my own remember she turned to me and she said you are a disgrace you're a disgrace to the family and I said to her mom my loyalty will never be to you or dad on this issue no I will follow God on this issue and folks, these are tough things, but they're true, aren't they? Yeah. Isn't this word, there's nothing wrong with family. Love your family. I'm not I love my family. I'm very close to my family. No problem with that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you try to grow churches or you try to pioneer things, these are the things that are going to trip you up if you don't deal with them. So we make a conversion or nation, like nationalism is, is another thing that people get proud of because they're so nationalistic or Scottish or English or whatever, they, that's fine. No problem being like that. We've seen plenty of that in Britain recently. I don't mind that. Provided it's not 
first, provided it's not first. And if we will just accept this fact, seek ye first the kingdom, and God will look after all these other things that we can spend our lives running after and trying to build. And then at the end, you're presenting something to Jesus that he didn't ask for. Men did. They wanted to follow their culture. But Jesus didn't ask me for it. What he asked me for was not a culture thing. It was a kingdom thing, higher level, much higher level. My last slide, please. So when New Mercy members, when you go before God, what kind of faces, what kind of cultures are you going to present? We need to overcome. Every blockage, every obstacle that stands in the way of us working cross-culturally together. Because, Pastor Johan, let me say this to you. I need you. And let me say something else. You know what the next bit is. You need me. And the Apostle Paul, when he arrived in Corinth, a little throwaway line. But Paul says this. He says, did I not, when I first set foot in Corinth, go to the apostles there and say, what shall, what shall I do? You see? And when you come into a nation like the UK, like you have, your pastor has been wise, and he's come and he said, what should we do? Have your language service. No, pro no problem with that at all. But I'm talking about a mental change, a, a, a dynamic change in our attitude to the future, that we make a very deep commitment that we will work together and we will impact the nation because of that. I stand much less chance of winning the Muslims than you guys do. Because the Muslims within the UK are either from North Africa, Pakistan, or India. I was in Postle Park with Fred. Pastor Fred's a Pakistani. And we were going around the shops. I walked into the shop. Fred took one counter. I took the other. And the, the, the shopkeepers, all Pakistani, took my leaflets. But they were, wouldn't take Fred's. And they looked at, I was interested. I thought, look, look you know, what's going on here? And the guy said, you're not Christian, you're Muslim, to Fred. And Fred said, no, no, I'm, no, you're, no you're not. You're, you're Muslim, you're a Muslim man. I said, no, I'm a Christian man, I'm a born-again Christian man. I thought, oh, this is great. And Fred let him have it. But the, the guy behind the counter said, our people are not Christians. It's all the white guys that are Christians, not our people. And that was such a good moment because Fred was able to deal with him, confuse him, you mean... Pakistanis get saved as well? That's right. And North African Muslims, they get saved as well. And Eritrean Muslims, they get saved as well. And we need to work together, folks, so that when we die, and Jesus looks at the work of our life, it's a work that says, Lord, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. And we had to take off a lot of our old ways and my old traditions and that's okay and I reclothed myself in the flags of the nations and I accepted them just like you did Christ you took them to yourself on the cross and that cost you and we as a church we made the decision 
to embrace the, na the, the nations at whatever cost. Amen? Hallelujah. I don't think we've got much time to play games because of the future. Look at the speed. 2050, the German statistics, Europe's Islamic. It's not long, not long. And we need to get on with our plan here and implement it. I, I have to say, folks, I, I, I think America, when America talks about Britain, they have a name for their relationship with Britain. What is it? It's called a special relationship. That's what they call it. And I, I, I hope you guys don't mind me saying this, but I think our relationship with the Eritrean Church, I think it's a special relationship. Amen. I think God is in it. And there's something for us to do. may not be clear yet, but that doesn't matter. You kind of feel it here before you get it up here. Amen. Right? So, would you spiritually and mentally do what I just did? You don't need to take your coat off. Spiritually just say, do you know what? When it comes to my culture, I'm always... I'll just relax a little bit on that and I'll relax a little bit on that and receive the new you, the new version of you in Europe that will be effective to win these nations. Together, we can do it. Together, we can be great, the Great Commission. But separate, minimizing, and it's not what he's asked us to do. Why don't we sing We Shall Overcome, that song. And as we sing it, we can sing it as a prayer that God helps us overcome. Come on up, the worship team. That God will give us the ability, the determination, thank you, Pastor, to overcome whatever obstacles stand or get in our way. If you can stand to your feet there, folks, and just take a, a moment with God to unpack any loyalties that have got in the way of Jesus Christ and put him in the throne of your heart in first place.